Thanks for listening to the Valley Point Church Podcast. We hope it's a blessing to you. One day, an expert in the religious law approached Jesus and asked him a very interesting question. And all of this is outlined for us in Luke chapter 10. So a leader of the religious law comes to Jesus one day and asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do to have this life that will go on forever? And scripture tells us that Jesus looked at this expert in the law and said, well, you're the expert. What does the law of Moses say? And what we find in Luke chapter 10 is that the expert in religious law said, well, Moses says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, and all your soul. Do that and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus replied and said, you're right. Do this and you will live. Well, the expert in the religious law wasn't really satisfied with that, and he was trying to test Jesus a little bit, his intellect and his thinking, and so he looked at Jesus and said, okay, well, I have a follow-up question then, and here's the follow-up question, who's my neighbor? I get that I'm supposed to love God with all my heart, all my mind, and all my soul, that makes sense to me, but this neighbor thing, who is my neighbor? Well, what we find is that Jesus then launched into a story to illustrate and to teach, here is your neighbor. We find all of this in Luke chapter 10. If you have a Bible or a device, I would encourage you to find this passage. I'm going to begin reading with verse 30 and the verses that follow that unpack this particular story Jesus shared in response to the questions from the leader and the expert in religious law. Out of respect for God and his word, I'd like you to stand as I read. Verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. So here it comes, a Jewish man. And it's important we understand this is a Jewish individual that Jesus is talking about here. So a Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over, And looked at him lying there, but he also passed on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And I want to pause there for a moment because we have to understand the richness of what is being described here. Jesus is talking to a Jewish crowd. And a Jewish man is the one lying on the side of the road, half beaten and left for dead. The Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They didn't get along at all. And so now, as part of the story, Jesus says a despised Samaritan comes along. It's very likely in that crowd when Jesus talked about a Samaritan coming by that the people listening may have done this. 
Boo! Samaritans. Boo! Not good. So then a despised Samaritan, boo, comes along. And when he saw the man, well, here it comes, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Jesus asked. And the man, the expert in religious law, replied, the one who showed him, say the word with me, mercy. There's our word, mercy. The one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. This story Jesus shared is familiar to many. It's known as the story of the good Samaritan. And the ones who should have stopped, the priest and the temple assistant, as their fellow countrymen, lay dying on the road. The ones who should have stopped didn't. And the one who shouldn't have stopped becomes the protagonist in the story, the main character and the hero. We're going to sit in this story all month long and just walk through some of the amazing details that are found here in Luke chapter 10 that talk about the good Samaritan and how he indeed extended mercy, true mercy, and it made a difference, a lasting difference. We have a verse as a church that is going to serve as our theme for the year. We've talked about this quite a bit. It's Micah chapter 6, verse 8, and I want to keep bringing that back throughout the year because everything we teach is going to tie into this in some way. So Micah chapter 6, verse 8. Will you say this with me? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. One more time. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. It's so interesting to me that in the middle of this great challenge found in the book of Micah is this encouragement, love mercy. Love it. Love mercy. And so here we find ourselves sitting in the mercy conundrum. What's a conundrum? Well, a conundrum can be described as anything that puzzles, anything that's slightly mysterious. Let me share some examples with you. Is technology an equalizer or a polarizer? I have no idea. It's a puzzle. It's a conundrum. How about this one? If you try to fail, but you succeed, which have you done? 
I don't know. It's kind of a puzzle. How about this one? What occurs once in a minute, twice in a moment, but never in a thousand years? I have no idea. Some people from 830 were trying to give me the answer. I don't know if I'm buying it. I think it's a puzzle. It's a conundrum. Something that is mysterious. Mercy, though. Why is mercy a conundrum? What's so puzzling about mercy? After all, Jesus modeled it for us. And he asked those who follow him, give mercy to others. Be kind, be compassionate. So what is so mysterious about mercy? Well, here's the deal. In the struggle to survive and provide and live comfortably, I think mercy is often dismissed or diminished. Right? In the struggle to survive and provide and live comfortably, which we probably all want to do those things. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But in the effort to do those things, often mercy gets a little diminished and dismissed. And here's why. Mercy is inconvenient. It's messy, it's antiquated, it's costly, it's countercultural, yet desperately needed in an unmerciful world. And so we're going to sit in the mercy conundrum and seek to find some answers to this puzzle. As I thought about all of this, I began to ask myself some questions. What would it look like if a church chose to act like the Good Samaritan. And by church, I mean our church, or really any group of believers. What would it look like if they chose to act like the Good Samaritan? And what would it look like if a church chose to move toward people instead of away from them because I don't have time and that's, that's messy and inconvenient, so forget about it. And I can't fix all of the problems, so why even start? What would it look like if a group of people who love Jesus said, we're going to move toward people, especially those on the side of the road, broken and in despair and dying, who desperately need someone to extend a little bit of compassion to them? What would that look like? And what would it look like if a church intentionally unleashed the power of mercy in an unmerciful world? What would that look like? Well, I think that would be amazing. And we should do that. And so throughout the month, we're going to attempt to say, let's think about the puzzle of mercy and seek to solve it. We're going to do that by taking four steps that we're going to pull right out of Luke chapter 10. So here's the outline for the whole month, okay? Here are the four steps that I believe begin to solve the mercy conundrum. See, go, do, and the final step, perhaps the most challenging, is to endure. See, go, do, and endure. 
I believe the good Samaritan took all of these steps. He saw, and we're going to unpack that word in just a little bit because this is the first step and what we'll focus on today. This word see, we're going to talk about that word in the context of the story. It's really rich and will help us to know what that means. He also made the choice to go. Unlike the other individuals who kind of tried to get away from the mess on the side of the road, he made the choice to go. He did something about it. And there is this enduring quality of I'm going to stay involved in the weeds. And if it costs me more, if it inconveniences me more, I'm going to still endure and push through all of this. I believe these four steps have the ability to solve the mercy conundrum. By the way, this series is based on a book called The God Impulse by Jack Alexander. The God Impulse is mercy. This is how God acts. And I know many of you are very bored in the month of February. You have nothing to do, nothing to read. And so I would encourage you, check this book out, buy it, and you'll be able to follow along with the series and these four steps of see, go, do, and endure. It's a great book and something that I think you'll enjoy. Okay, let's think about mercy as used in scripture. It's a very fascinating word. Before we do that, though, just some good information for all of us when we think about reading scripture and understanding it. It's important for all of us to know the Bible was not originally written in English, okay? It wasn't. It was written in three different languages, The Old Testament was written in Hebrew and Aramaic, and then the New Testament was written in Greek. So we need to know that as we think about studying words and studying context. You've got to dig into all of this. The Bible not written in English, written in three different languages. Interestingly enough, in the 1380s, the Bible was handwritten in English, and the manuscripts were studied by a guy named John Wesley. John Wesley was an Oxford professor. He was a theologian and a scholar, and he transcribed, he began to put the Bible into English. That was in the 1380s. In the 1450s then, a guy by the name of Johann Gutenberg invented the printing press, And with the arrival of the printing press, books, like the Bible, all of a sudden were mass-produced. And the Bible began to make its way around the world. Those who have began to study scripture and those who have translated it have done the arduous work of looking at original words in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, and they've done the hard work of interpreting that and putting it into English and many other languages so that we can enjoy and study scripture. When we think about studying this ancient text, though, it's important to be mindful of words. Words matter. They're very important. C.S. Lewis said this, language exists to communicate whatever it can communicate. I actually find that to be kind of funny. It's almost like C.S. Lewis said, good luck with words and language. It's really difficult. So language exists to communicate whatever it possibly can communicate. But when it comes to scripture, we have to 
tease out these words and study them. So that brings us to the English word mercy. I think most of us have a concept of what that means. And we probably have even used that word, especially when it refers to us. Like, please be merciful to me. Give mercy to me, compassion and kindness. And we get that word. Again, the Bible wasn't written in English. It was written in three different languages. So it will probably not be a surprise to you that there are 11 different words used in the Bible for the one English word, mercy. And the majority of the time we see these different words used, here's what it means. Kindness, favor, to be compassionate, or to give out compassion to others. So the conclusion, based on all of these different words used for mercy in the original languages here in Scripture, is that it means kindness and compassion. That's mercy. Kindness and compassion. Now, interestingly enough, in Luke chapter 10, which is our story, the word that you all said in such a great way means compassion. And since we're going to sit in this story, when I talk about mercy, that's how I'm going to define it. Mercy means compassion, being compassionate, giving compassion out to others. All right, does that make sense? You still with me? Shake your heads a little bit? Okay, great. Now, let me share some thinking points, okay? Number one, we live in a place of pain and mercy is needed. We live in a place of pain and mercy is needed. Pain is everywhere. In this room right now, there's pain, hurts, regrets, Things that have happened that keep coming back to mind. There is pain in here and mercy is needed. I know some of you and your stories. And so I can affirm pain exists in this room. And I don't know what you walked into the room with today, but no doubt there's pain. There's pain here. And maybe you're feeling fine. That's great. But just know pain is a real thing. And we live in a place of pain and mercy, compassion. It's desperately needed in an unmerciful world. So we live in a place of pain. Secondly, we all carry scars, don't we? Something deep down inside, maybe nobody else knows about that, but God knows, God sees, God is aware. We all carry scars, and because of that, mercy, it's needed, it's needed. And then thirdly, mercy, when done right, is difficult to put on the calendar because it's messy and it can be all-encompassing. And who has time for that, right? It's not like we can say, okay, I need to be more merciful. That's the challenge. I get it. And we're reading the Good Samaritan and this is what Jesus wants. So, all right, starting on Monday from 9 o'clock to 9.10, I'll be more merciful. Now, that might not be a bad thing to try, actually, just the reminder of that could be a good thing, but mercy is often very inconvenient and it disrupts our calendars. 
And again, in our desire to provide and survive and live comfortably, often we kind of dismiss all of that because we don't want our lives to be disrupted as we're on the way to whatever. And this is what we see in the story of the Good Samaritan. A couple of individuals, they're on their way, they're traveling, and they didn't want to be disturbed. But yet one individual, the Samaritan, boo, said, okay, okay. I'll let my calendar and my time and my financial world to be disrupted a little bit for the work of mercy, for compassion. So mercy, when done right, is really difficult to put on the calendar. We have to be open to its disruptions in our lives. But here's the deal and our big idea for today. God has graciously extended mercy to me. He has, and we all love that. God has graciously extended mercy to me. His plan is that I should pass on mercy to others. And God's mercy is incredible and it's new and fresh every day. And we all benefit from that. God's graciously provided compassion for all of us that we don't really deserve. Yet he gives it. And his plan is that we would shock the world, shock our communities our schools, our families, by unleashing the power of mercy in an unmerciful world. Okay, back to Luke chapter 10, verse 33. Then a despised Samaritan, boo! (laughs) Let's not forget that. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, When he saw the man, I want to think about this word. It is our first step in solving the puzzle of mercy. The good Samaritan, he saw, and this means so much more than he just observed, some pain and misery on the side of the road. Verse 33, the Samaritan came along, he saw the man. Here's what that word saw means. It means to pay attention to to concern oneself with and to understand as a result of perception. Does that make sense? The good Samaritan came along and he paid attention to, he concerned himself with, he understood what was happening on the side of the road as a result of perception. He saw the man. He saw the man. He saw. May God give us all eyes to see the vulnerable, the broken, the marginalized, the depressed, the suicidal. May God give us as individuals and may God give us as a faith community eyes that see that move into action because we actually understand. We do more than just observe, like, yeah, I think something's wrong over here, but uh, can't be bothered, it's messy, don't know what to say or do, and it's a big problem, I can't solve it all, so I won't do anything. May God give us eyes as a church and as individuals to understand as a result of perception. So here's a question I've been asking myself as I have studied and researched the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. 
I may make observations. And, and I think I do. And maybe you feel the same way. About people broken and marginalized and hurt and on the side of the road desperate for somebody to reach out with a little bit of compassion. I think I make observations about that. But do I see? Do I really see? And that's a question we need to wrestle with as a church as we move through the story of the Good Samaritan. We may observe, but, but do we see? Do we see? When we take that first step, when we see, it leads to these other steps that we'll unpack as we walk through the rest of the story. Okay, I have three takeaways that I think will help us begin to see the way God wants us to see. Number one, I want you to read Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37, five times this week. All right, that's the story of the Good Samaritan. I don't think that's too much to ask. It's not too difficult, so get your Bible or your device, or if you want to listen to it, whatever works for you, doesn't matter. I just want to encourage our whole church to read this story five different periods throughout the week. Luke chapter 10, 25 through 37, let's make it happen. Okay. As a matter of fact, in your reading plan, I think it says the same thing for every single day. So take that challenge upon yourself and let's just sit in the mercy conundrum. Let's sit in the story of the Good Samaritan and make it our own and really understand it. That's the first takeaway. Number two, notice that mercy opportunities are closer than we think. Much closer than what we think. You know, here's what happens sometimes when it comes to mercy and compassion and we talk about this and if you're like me, you feel that twinge inside of you. Yeah, I need to pay attention to hurts a little bit more and I've got to do things. And often it sounds like this. I need to be more merciful. So that means I should go way over there. And way over there may be a distant city or a distant country where there is such deep need. And if I'm going to be merciful, then I got to go way over there. That's how it's done. And no doubt some people will do that. And those are acts of mercy and compassion. But what I want us to understand and know, that mercy opportunities are much closer than what we think or imagine. They probably exist in your home with someone who lives there. They probably exist at school. Mercy. They probably exist in your office or on your work team. Mercy opportunities are much closer than what we think. And so let's look right around us and see and understand the way God wants us to. Now, having said that, here's an opportunity for all of us on Saturday, February the 16th. In your program is a flyer for Love Day. I want you to take that out right now. I know I mentioned that mercy can't be a calendar item, but let's ignore that for a few moments because I want you to put this on your calendar, all right? It's a great opportunity for all of us. Mercy right here, up close and personal. And you can see the different things we're going to do for a couple of hours. On Saturday, February the 16th, we're going to seek to see at Urban Promise and City Team and Sunday Breakfast Rescue Mission and Britain Manor and Mana Worldwide. We're going to have a wonderful opportunity to engage in acts of mercy 
And so begin reading this and see, see. So mercy opportunities, much closer, much closer than what we think. And often those ones are much more difficult as well. But let's not ignore that. Okay, number three. Ask God to disrupt your calendar. Well, and I hope you're willing to do this. Just to offer up a little prayer to God and say, okay, God, I'm open. Will you disrupt my calendar this week with the work of mercy and compassion so that I can see and understand? I think that's a really challenging thing to do. And I hope many, if not all of you, will take it upon yourselves to ask God to interrupt your schedule a little bit so that we can get into the weeds of seeing and then giving mercy to other people. Why? Because what would it look like if a church, a group of people like us, acted like the Good Samaritan? And what would it look like if we chose to move toward people? especially those marginalized and broken and stuck on the side of the road? And what would it look like if we intentionally chose to unleash the power of mercy in an unmerciful world? I think it would be amazing. And I think that's what God is calling us to do. Now, is all of this designed just to make us feel better because, okay, we see and we did something about it? Is this kind of feel-good stuff? No, not really, although I think that can happen in the process, and that's okay. I think we do this because it's what Jesus did, and it's how he acted, and it's what he modeled. So do you want to live like Jesus? You want to think like him? You want to behave like him? Which I would posit is a great thing to do and pursue. If you want that, mercy. Mercy, it's the way of Jesus. Father, we thank you for some time to look at this story you shared with somebody who began to question you about their neighbor. Grateful for the lessons learned and for the story of someone who shouldn't have. But yet in your story, that's the one who did. That's the one who took this first step of solving the mercy conundrum by seeing. He perceived. He understood. So God, I pray for each and every person in the room right now that you would give us eyes to see those who need us. God, I believe you have put people right around us, in our homes, in our schools, in our places of work, in our neighborhoods that need us to see. So disrupt our calendars. Help us to put down the to-do lists and just say, okay, God, I will engage in acts of mercy. And what a difference. What a difference that's going to make where we live, work, and play. Give us the courage to read this text throughout the week. 
Give us the courage to look up close and personal, realizing that mercy is right in front of us, these opportunities. And then help us to allow our time to be disturbed. Help us to be willing to be inconvenienced a little bit as we pursue living like Jesus. Give us the strength and the courage to do this now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you call Valley Point Church home or would like to make a donation, please go to valleypointchurch.com slash online giving. If you're in need of prayer, we would love to serve you in that way. Send us a message at prayer at valleypointchurch.com. Be blessed.